And we're live with JavaScript Air. Hello, everyone. My name is Ken C. Dodds, and I'm your host for JavaScript Air. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Lodash and JavaScript Utils. I switched that. The title of the, the show is JavaScript Utils and Lodash, but I don't think the order is very relevant. So um, we've got um, John David Dalton with us, and so we're going to be chatting with him about that. But before we get into introdu introductions, um, I just have a couple of announcements. Uh, first, a shout-out to all of our wonderful sponsors who make so many wonderful things possible for this podcast. Uh, first, our premier sponsor is Egghead.io. Egghead.io um, has a huge library of bite-sized videos about web development in general. Uh, check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, and Elm, and all kinds of really cool stuff. Uh, then Frontend Masters is an expert-led workshop um, with courses on advanced JavaScript, uh, asynchronous and functional JS, as well as lots of other great courses on front-end topics, so check them out. Then TrackJS reports bugs in your JavaScript before customers even notice them, and with their telemetry timeline, you'll have the context to actually fix them. Check out, uh, check them out and start tracking JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. And then we have WallabyJS. Um, WallabyJS is an intelligent, super-fast test runner for JavaScript that continuously runs your tests. It reports code coverage and other results directly in your code editor immediately as you change your code. Check them out at wallabyjs.com. And finally, CodeCove. CodeCove is coverage done right. Reduce technical debt by visualizing test performance and faster code review. CodeCove is highly integrated with GitHub and provides browser extensions. Learn more at codecove.io. Great. I'm getting pretty good at saying that. Um, so now, um, before we get into the show, I just want to uh, remind everybody who's watching live that you can um, tweet at uh, the show with the hashtag JSAirQuestion. And during the show or at the end of the show, we're going to be answering your questions. And so feel free to grill John um, uh, about these uh, the concepts of JavaScript utils and, and Lodash. Um, and then also, our show uh, next week is going to be another live conference show. So Really appreciate any feedback that you have on these live con conference shows, um, but it's going to be at FluentConf um, on March 9th, 2016 at 12.45 p.m. PST. So it will be a couple hours after our normal time, so just be aware of that. Um, but it will be on Wednesday. So, yeah, and then as always, follow us on Twitter, Google+, and Facebook to keep up with the latest and greatest from the show. Great. Now, with that out of the way, let's go ahead and get into introductions. So, um, for our panelists today, we have Brian Lunsdorf. What's going on? And Dan Abramoff. Hey there. Awesome. And um, for our guest today, we have John David Dalton. Hi. We're so excited to have you. John, why don't you give us a little intro to yourself? And then I think you have uh, something exciting to share with us. Yeah. All right, so I'm John David Dalton. Uh, I'm the uh, lead maintainer on Lodash and creator of Lodash. Um, I also work at Microsoft. I was the former Chakra Performance uh, Program Manager, and so Chakra is the JavaScript engine that's inside of uh, IE9 and up and Edge. Uh, it's also uh, one of the, I've worked to make it one of the, the fastest, and uh, a lot of people have worked to make it um, uh, the most ES6 compliant uh, too. So that's that's really cool. Uh, now, though, I work on um, open source frameworks and libraries to improve the test coverage of, of them in Edge and make sure that we don't regress in Edge. Uh, so that's my, my day job. Uh, uh, 
outside of that, though, I do a lot of open source work, um, and and uh, Lodash is part of that. So cool. So the thing that I wanted to do, though, I was asked to do was to to do a, a version release live on the air. Oh, uh, so I'm going to do it. So here it goes. I'm going to going to npm publish Lodash 4.6.1. Uh, the point one means uh, a patch. So here we go. Uh, let's see. Fingers crossed. Oh, I know. <laughs> I've spent the rest of the show debugging. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't go very well usually. <laughs> Lodash has historically been pretty good at non-breaking changes, so. Yeah. But, uh, it has been pushed, and now I will tweet it out. So there it is. Rock. Okay. <laughs> All right. npm echo Lodash. Let yeah. me see this. Up oh, there it is. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Oh, sorry. You saw it here first, folks. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, um, John, why don't you go ahead and, and uh, to kick off our conversation about JavaScript utils and Lodash, can you talk about what Lodash is and give us a bit of a history of this library? Sure. Uh, Lodash is a collection of low-level utility methods. So for iterating um, arrays, objects, strings, um, it also has uh, methods for function composition, um, and uh, I've, I've started to branch off into more functional programming um, helpers, so things to help you curry, things to um, allow composing functions easier. And that's really what it, that's really what it is, and I just keep uh, iterating on it uh, over the years. Cool. Can you give us a history of how it got started? Sure. Um, I started, so I used to work for a startup called Yuxibu, and as part of that, um, I was working on uh, a utilities lib for a component we were, we were developing. Um, and then I also did a, a JSConf talk on the, the hidden cost of natives, which was at the time uh, popular, uh, it was popular to say that you would use JS built-ins, so like the array built-ins for ES5, uh, for, for performance, and uh, that was not actually the case. There was no performance benefit um, to doing that, and so my talk was just going like through the methods, each one, showing how uh, JavaScript library alternatives uh, could be faster. Uh, so, uh, like two days or, or four days after that talk, I, I released Lodash. Um, or I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't release it. I started uh, Lodash, which was a fork of underscore at the time. Um, I didn't want to uh, recreate the wheel. Um, I, did, I, I had done something similar to this before uh, from 2008 uh, up to that point, but it was never really released. Um, uh, it never got out of alpha. I did something called FuseJS. I did a couple of conference talks on that too, which was a drop-in replacement for prototype JS uh, that was faster, that didn't augment the built-ins. Back in the day, so, prototype JS. <laughs> yeah. So, so I kind of had experience doing the same like drop-in, uh, faster alternative thing, except this time I was able to, to push and release um, and actually get it out there. Um, and I, I led with performance because that got a bunch of eyeballs and that was I actually regret doing that now because a lot of times people think that's the only thing they think of when they, they think of uh, Lodash but I really wanted to improve uh, cross-browser and cross-environment consistency um, and I had tried to do that in underscore first um, and was un unsuccessful in doing that 
Um, and so then, like, you know, six months plus later, when, it, when I started to work on, on Lodash, I was able to just to, to fork and carry on from then. Um, shortly after that, though, custom builds became a thing. Uh, this was before modules took off, though, so I created a build tool, um, and then modules became a thing, uh, and then now support uh, utility methods through, the, uh, through modules as well. So you can just pick and choose the bits that you want instead of having to include a monolithic library. Um, and as time goes on, utility methods increase because everyone wants a utility method, uh, their favorite method included in the library, and we have a process for filtering that out. But over time, it grows. Um, and so now, I mean, it's 21 kilobytes. You don't want that if you only want two methods, right? Um, so I, I created, I made it modular and, and did a lot of work to try to um, meet developers where they were. Uh, so uh, I, I supported AMD. Uh, there, was, there was a time where uh, there was a, a big pushback against AMD uh, use. And so libraries were dropping support. And I said, you know what? Devs are using it. I'll support it. Um, and they were some of the biggest fans and advocates for Lodash. Um, so great. Uh, ES6 is another one where now I support the, the ES6 uh, module format. So things like Redux, what, uses it. Um, so uh, yeah, um, that's, that's kind of how it started. And then I, I never planned for it to, to, to kind of be what it is today. I've tried to just be very to remove roadblocks for adoption because the, the, the point of the library is to get utility methods out to as many developers as possible. And so I, I don't care about your module preference. If you like AMD, if you like ES6, if you like CommonJS, if you like your arguments flipped, if you like, you know, whatever flavor of, of way that you want to consume these utility methods, the, the point is to just get you high quality utility methods. Um, and so I've just tried to do that and be Pretty, pretty open with, with uh, module formats and, and, um, and trends for like functional programming and things like that because at the, at the end of the day, it's still just utilities. Um, and right now, I mean, the, uh, the popularity of the library is, is increasing and so usage is going up. It's, it's starting to chip away against the, the NIH or the not invented here um, of, of libraries. And so that's after like four years, that's, I'm starting to get adoption from libraries, which is just a dream come true. So. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of how it started, and, and its progression is just is trying to get utility library or utility functions out to developers. Uh, I've got a question. Uh, I'm not sure I completely understood. What was the original motivation uh, behind not contributing to underscore but creating another library? Is it that it was hard to contribute, or was it technically hard, or people hard, or? So at the time, it was it was a substantial change, and it was. There was there was roadblocks from adoption um, from contributing before. So um, I had tried to, to to fix some old browser issues before, and that didn't land. Um, but what it did though was one of the prerequisites for that patch was to make sure that the change was uh, fast. Uh, so basically fixing bugs, but also maintaining performance. Um, so while that was that 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 ultimately didn't make it into underscore um, my. The, the things I had to do later on, like drop the built-in use and all the other things like that, um, treat all arrays as dense, these were things that were fundamentally different than underscore at the time and that were not going to make it in. It only took, it was only after they were proved out in Lodash that uh, they were adopted later in underscore, right? So it was kind of like um, I was stuck, roadblocked, in, unless I, I forked. And so I, I, 
I did that. I didn't want to start from scratch, though, so underscore was the established library at the time. Uh, so that's the one I based, uh, I based Lodash on. Cool. Uh, so we actually got a question from uh, Twitter that I think is relevant. And so again, if you're watching live, uh, the hashtag JSAirQuestion is where you can interact with us during the show, and we'll uh, try to get your questions answered. Um, but uh, this one's from Vile uh, M. Vino, and he asks, if you were um, doing a Lodash-like uh, library totally from scratch, what would be different? Something like Lodash FP? Um, so Lodash FP is, is relatively new. I mean, I've been following the, the uptick of FP, uh, so functional programming, um, so more functional than... It, that, that term gets thrown around a lot. Um, underscore is called a functional library, uh, which because it, it has some composition, but this is like auto-curried, immutable data, uh, data uh, last, iterative first kind of, of functional programming. Um, I don't know if I would do that first. I still like having that that um, that separation and the ability to, to cater to devs of, of, of either preference. Um, it would have it would have been things like I was locked into specific APIs because I forked underscore and needed the drop-in compatibility. Um, but over time, that has as adoption of Lodash has, has taken off, um, I'm able to break away from that and, and make my own API decisions and choices without having to be tethered to another project. Um, but starting from scratch is tough. Uh, and I, I, I tried it with, uh, I mean, I, I almost attempted it with that previous project, which was a DOM utility library, which is a lot more complicated than a, like a language utility library. Um, and so I would, it, starting from scratch is just, I would, I would say, if you can start from an established point, start there, and then either try to work with them to, to move the project in the direction you want, or if you have to, fork and go from there. But uh, starting from scratch is, is tough. If you're lucky, maybe you can do a spork and uh, like yeah. IOJS and bring it back <laughs> eventually. Yeah. And we've tried that too. Uh, I don't know if, if that will ever fully happen, but we've... Uh, so in June or so, I started conversations for a merge of underscore and Lodash to try to get them back together. Uh, and w what that actually did was that, that got devs from underscore and devs from Lodash to kind of hash out like things that needed to be done uh, to, to facilitate a merge. And so part of that that, that, that shook out was things like the, the four kilobyte build, where the the adding utility methods doesn't scale over over time. You end up getting this big this big library. And so one of the, the things that they wanted was a core build that that never grew. Uh, that was always just this, this fundamental set of functions or, or utilities. And so I was able to do that. Uh, they came in um, and and like Graham and, and Brad and Justin. They they are now contributors to to Lodash too. So um, in that in that instance the 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 merge was to reduce duplication of effort um, and to help better coordinate um, our work. And so it, on that front, it, it was a success. Uh, we were there now contributors and, and help move things along. But it's, it's an ongoing process. Cool. So actually, on um, kind of in, to stay in the theme of what you're talking about with uh, contributors, 
Um, one thing that just totally amazes me at Lodash is I, I don't even have to look right now because I'm pretty positive you have zero uh, issues and zero pull requests that are open right now. Now that you uh, said that, someone's probably going to do it. Yeah, <laughs> probably better double check that. But if you have any, they're just like a very small amount. Um, can you talk about how you're able to manage such a wildly popular uh, project and like how much time do you spend working on this project um, to just be able to accomplish something so impressive? So I, I triage bugs in the morning with my coffee uh, and then in the evening I do feature work on it. Um, so I spend about uh, 30 or 40 minutes in the morning and then uh, my evening you know, if I'm chilling out watching TV, I've usually got a laptop open uh, and, and you know, working on a feature or something. Um, I also do, I've started this thing uh, where I do um, uh, at least just a commit a day. Um, and that, that mechanism of just a commit a day uh, keeps things from adding up and keeps things from becoming this big pile of, of stuff to do on the weekend. So I do a little bit every day so I can have a life <laughs> and manage and do, you know, other things. I'm married, I mean, like, family and, and op other obligations. So, like, finding that balance was, was tricky at first, and it's been something that I've worked on um, over time. But uh, a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the evening. Uh, now that I work on open source frameworks as my day job, I can sprinkle in a little bit of triage here or there. But um, the, the key is to just do a little bit at a time. And then before you know it, you've got, you know, 100 commits under your belt in a couple weeks or whatever. So it, that's, that's how I, I do it. I also have started to defer more to external contribution. So a lot of times uh, developers will say, hey, can you just fix your documentation? They'll, they'll say that of me, right? And I'll say, well, how about, how about you fix the documentation? The wiki is open. Like, you can, you can add your own fixes to it. Uh, so I encourage them to do that. Um, if it's if it's a really tiny change, I just say, hey, let's let's have create a pull request and and get um, get you involved with with contribution and actually have you as part of the contributors of, of Lodash, uh, and that has helped a lot too. It's just push it, and, and people are more than willing to to help out. Um, I try also not to be as nitpicky when it comes to to accepting pull requests. A lot of times, um, I don't make like the style guide a, a prerequisite to hit uh, for, for, for the, the build to pass uh, because worst case I'll go back afterwards and do a cleanup pass, right? I, I feel like bike shedding, all of that stuff is just a barrier for contribution so I try to be very eager with accepting uh, a pull request once they sign a CLA if needed um, and, and then go from there. And So that, that has kind of helped spread, spread the responsibility and spread the, the workload out. But yeah, it's just a little bit every day. I think that's just wildly impressive. That That's very cool. Uh, and I, I think a lot of really good pro tips in there um, about um, how to manage open source projects. So hopefully that is helpful to people. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that, I, I'm. this is more out of curiosity and maybe tangential, but you mentioned that your work is now on uh, libraries, open yeah. source libraries and frameworks. Um, it, and so like that's part of your, your day job. What, what exactly are you doing uh, for that? So, so what we've been doing is things like uh, ensuring that all of the jQuery unit tests pass in Edge. Uh, and that means either filing bugs on Edge, the browser, or on jQuery's 
uh, repo for to fix like a faulty unit test or a faulty check. Um, but then we do that for for things like Ember, Angular, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, and so usually things revolve around making sure our test coverage is up to to ideally 100% passing on these JavaScript libraries um, and um, assisting when it's not uh, or ensuring or filing bugs on our end. I also do things like app building exercises to shake out bugs in our platform. So last month we did a, uh, a React app, uh, and uh, which was a markdown editor, um, and that shook out some bugs on our end uh, with... Um, the the old school like document exec command uh, thing which is pretty gross on content editable um, and also uh, extended uh, edge support and edge testing support to the the medium uh, plugin uh, like text editor widget so I mean that in that in that case that was a pretty big success there so um, and so this this month I'm looking at um, Angular uh, one um, and um, uh, RxJS, and so I'll be I'll be shaking out bugs there, um, and so I've got a, a a team of two others, uh, Zach and Jesse, and so you'll see them probably pop into to Ember or or jQuery or where whatever library we're focusing on, and they'll be they'll be helping with bugs uh, there too. So yeah, I mean that's it, it's it's also nice too because a lot of times in my in my off time I focus in on utilities, and I don't get to try. Some of the cooler things like like React or Redux or Babel or you know the list goes on and on and on and so this is now a time where I can I can I don't have to just kind of work it into my unit testing for for Lodash I can actually sit there and, and, and try to build an application and kind of shake out and get more familiar with these these projects. Are, are you finding some of your own utility methods uh, more or less useful when you start to apply it to application building? Like, are you like, oh, I use Zip all the time now. I never used Zip before, or <laughs> whatever. Well, uh, so I try to. So part of our thing is is uh, we only we we box it to just like two days to do the app building, um, which is usually enough time to shake out uh, any issues with just getting the project off the ground and then creating a minimal viable application. Um, I do try to sneak Lodash in there if I can, um, uh, but usually we try to focus it. Primarily on the the framework or library that we're we're looking at, um, and try to reduce outside factors so we can. Uh, sure, sure. So we can but I guess in I guess in general, what what are some of your favorite utility methods from Lodash that you find useful that maybe people aren't too familiar with, or maybe they are. I, I can tell you a couple of them that I thought, man, I'll never use this, never, and then they became one of my favorite things. Uh, one of them was placeholders in partial. Application, I would when that when that feature first came across underscores uh, radar, I was like, ugh, I'm gonna have to add this to Lodash now, and I was so upset. Uh, but it's become super handy for a partial application. Uh, what a placeholder is is it allows you to to pass a, a an object. In this case, it's the underscore or Lodash namespace uh, as the placeholder, so you can skip over that and and say. Um, which it's really hard to explain this with hands, but whatever. Um, you have an argument A, you want to skip that and provide argument B. And so then whenever you execute the function, you then provide argument A and B has already been provided for you. And so the way to, to signal that is to have a placeholder that is the placeholder of A and allows you to specify B. 
Um, the other one that I found super useful was the, the rest function, um, which is similar to like ES6 rest. And uh, Graham and Justin proposed that, that, that method, and at the time I was like, yeah, okay, I mean, it, it's in ES6, uh, and then it became one of the most used functions in the entire library for oh, wow, defining wow. all the other methods. So like that that alone, REST is one of my favorite methods in there uh, to work with. Nice. nice. Or, uh, AKA Twitter. Sorry, I just muted uh, John. Sometimes this happens in the middle of the show that uh, like we start getting crazy feedback. And so uh, just a reminder, when you're not talking, make sure to mute yourself. And if you're on a Mac, that's Command-D. If you're on Windows, I think that's Control-D. So go ahead, Ryan. Uh, well, I have one more question since I have the, <laughs> the mic. <laughs> I was curious. Um, I, I, I think a lot of people admire your uh, performance, um, uh, your attention to performance and um, how good you are at like debugging things and making sure it's very optimized. Uh, could you speak to your workflow of like how you approach optimization? Testing. All right, I'm back. Um, so I, uh, what I, what I usually do is look for an established common case um, and uh, make sure that that common case is, is fast uh, and that the, the external or overloaded functionality comes second. Um, or the, the extra functionality comes second. Um, I also do it around scenarios. So uh, I try not to obsess over micro-optimizations. I would say don't focus on that. Don't worry about the direction of your while loop. Don't worry about how you increment your variables. Don't worry about array push versus assigning it directly to the array. Uh, none of that stuff really matters uh, in, the, in the long run. Uh, usually what I, the, the things that have become significant are things like Dealing, avoiding linear lookups um, for like uniquing and differencing and, and intersecting arrays, um, or uh, introducing lazy evaluation and shortcut fusion to reduce tons and tons of iteration. And, and um, those are the, the kinds of things that, that win uh, performance, and those are the things that, that developers um, tend to appreciate. Like when they switch from one library to the next, they go, wow, like. My, my node process is just so much so much more improved because of, of things like this. Um, I, the, because Lodash is now used by uh, quite a few people, um, the, I, I tend to get the scenarios brought to me now, but before I was just kind of having to look at the issues that were posted over and over on either underscore or, or Lodash's tracker um, to focus on, on perfwork. Um, but now I, I make sure that the common case is fast, um, uh, and then if if there's not a competitive edge either, they, the 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 method tends to get a lower priority. So at the moment I have things for like deep property crawling or string methods, and because there's not a direct competition where someone has called out perf on those, I tend to let those slide a bit until someone brings up like, hey, this thing is causing me some grief. Um, but yeah, and I, when I do it, I, I don't focus on one engine. I know it's really popular to, to just make sure it runs fast in Node. But I, I make sure that the, what I've done works fast in, 
in Edge, in IE, in Firefox, in Safari, in Chrome, uh, and in Node. Uh, newer and older versions of Node, I try to try to balance that out too. And so that that um, is is really kind of pays off because a lot of times you'll see like the competition go like, hey, we're fast in this or that, and I'll be like, well, that's one environment. Now try the other five where it like syncs performance. Um, and it's it's something to, to keep in mind. And so I, because I've also have an experience or a background with being the the perf PM on an engine, I kind of know the fast paths for for uh, for V8, for Spider Monkey, for for Chakra. And so I, I can navigate those and make sure that what I have ends up being uh, great for for any engine. That's awesome. So like obviously you're not going to be uh, well. I wouldn't expect that you you run these tests manually in each one of these browsers and environments. Uh, what what do you use to automate uh, these benchmarks, or are you doing it manually? Uh, so I do actually do it manually. Um, I I have a benchmark suite that I, I maintain for Lodash, which makes sure that its methods are are fast, and I can compare them against previous versions of Lodash or or underscore. Um, and I, I do those before any major release. I make sure that I haven't regressed. And, and so usually the perf suite isn't there to show off perf. It's usually hitting my worst case scenarios. And that's what I'm checking for, to see that my worst case scenarios haven't, haven't become prohibitively slow. Um, and, and I check those. Uh, if I'm doing more new feature work, I'll, use, uh, I'll create a benchmark either using JS perf, uh, which is having a little bit of problems at the moment. Um, or creating my own uh, benchmark, and then I just run it across um, various engines. So some of the stuff I do is based on kind of like a heuristic, um, and so I, I pick like a happy medium across the engines. So for example, I have large array optimizations where I kick in and use ES6 set or map to avoid linear lookup of large arrays, uh, but at some point I have to specify what a large array is. Um, and so in my case, it's 200. Once you hit the, the 200 elements, that's where the cost of using set or map washes out around other engines. Um, some kick in sooner, some kick in later, but that's, that's the happy medium there. So by, by testing them in various engines, you kind of get a better idea of where to set those. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's manual, but um, my, 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 my environment I have, uh, I used to have hundreds of browsers and versions, and I've since trimmed them down to just the, the, the current and then uh, the, the previous one be behind it on version numbers, except for the IEs, um, where I have uh, 9, 10, 11, um, and uh, so on. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how I did it. Very cool. So um, I think that there might be some people watching right now who are, e are in, like, one of two camps or maybe both, like, well, probably not both, but um, people who really want to get into open source but never have or, or have only done a little bit and they're just not sure where to start. And then other people who um, are like project maintainers or, or want to start a project. And I, I think your experience could really give, uh, you know, provide a lot of value to those people. So could you give uh, some tips first to the group of people who want to get into open source but just haven't really gotten around to it? Um, what, what would you say to those people? How do they get in, involved in contributing to open source, whether it be Lodash or, or anything in general? Um, so usually I, I, I would say find something you're, you're passionate about. If it's, if it's dates and times, if it's CSS, if it's 
I mean, the, there's so many areas in JavaScript or, or web-related stuff, or even non-webby stuff, uh, to, to, to dig into. If, you, if you're passionate about something, there's probably a group somewhere or a project somewhere that you could, you could pick up um, and start contributing to. Um, GitHub makes it easier with like help wanted labels or um, there's like a first timers only uh, pull request labels, yeah, uh, which help uh, allow you to, to kind of pick out which ones would be a good place to, to start contributing to a project. I know Chakra, which was recently open sourced, has like a, a first PR uh, label in there. So people that are wanting to get their feet wet with with some of the C++ and some of the, the engine stuff can jump in there. Um, I, I have help wanted labels for my issues. I haven't started the first, uh, first timers only, but that would be a, a good way to do that too. Um, also, I, I see a lot of first timers, they'll jump in on documentation um, because documentation is kind of an easy place to, to get in and to, to document something you have to kind of dig into the source code and be familiar with it. And So that's kind of a, a way to, to force familiarity and understanding of the project is to try to actually document what something is doing. Um, in terms of, of maintainers, I would say uh, if, you're, if you're wanting to encourage uh, first-time contribution, uh, label it um, and lower the barriers of contribution down. Um, I know some people, they'll, they'll, they'll have their, their code style and their linters as, as the first things that fail. And a lot of times that, that's extra setup for an extra process for a first-time contributor, and I tend to make those optional fails or make those things that I do on a follow-up run. Um, and so I, mainly it's just like saying, hey, thank you, thank you for contributing, so thank the users, um, and then make it easy for them to contribute and try not to bog them down at first. So I, I, I ease uh, contributors into the process, and so after they've contributed a couple times, I'll start to, to nitpick style, and format and things like that. Once I see that they're oh, they're becoming a regular contributor now, um, I'll, I'll start to, to ratchet up uh, the the requirements for for getting something to pass in. But yeah, I would say uh, be just be be open to it. If if you're running a project and you don't want to run the project anymore, um, which which happens. I mean, like uh, I've got a couple projects where I was no longer interested in maintaining it, so I looked for someone who just who wanted to help and said, hey, here, here's commit rights, here's publish rights to this, this package uh, so you can keep maintaining it and, and keeping it uh, going along. So I'd say be open to, to sharing control. Um, I made sure that with, with Lodash, I, I, I'm not the only one that has publish rights and maintainer rights to this. So if I was to ever, you know, burn out or, or leave, there was other people to step in and carry on the project. Awesome. Yeah, I've actually got a follow-up question to one of the things that you mentioned. Uh, the uh, so I, I think it's great that you uh, avoid nitpicking on new contributors. I, th I think that makes it more likely that people will contribute again. Uh, so what what do you do? Um, like obviously, you want to maintain your style and you want to you know maintain a certain level of quality in your code. Um, that's why we have linters. Um, and so, what do you do? Like, you're gonna merge that uh, pull request and then update it later. How do how do you uh, do that? Like, does your Git history just look like a bunch of you know first time uh, commits and then you're you fixing up along the way? Or how does that really pan out? So, um, I'll either 
uh, amend or do a follow-up commit depending on how bad it is. If it's just like a comma or something like that, I'll pop in and do an assist. Uh, usually commits are, are pretty small, and so there's not a, a large chunk of code that needs to be refactored. Um, as long as the, the, the commits are small and granular, it's, it's never really been a, a, a problem of trying to, to make sure things, things look right or, 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 or are formatted correctly. Um, I do have a style checker, though, so you can go npm run style, which then checks all of the wrappers, all of the unit tests, the entire code base for code style rules, um, and then they'll, they'll flag uh, uh, problems. Um, so I'll do that uh, usually before I do a release um, or, I'll, or after a, 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 a pull request that gets merged. But I tend to merge, I, I, I merge away the merge commits, so it just looks like a steady stream of, of users uh, contributing without a bunch of the the the, um, the process stuff in the way. Cool. How do you? Um, I, sorry, I'm I'm a project maintainer, so I've got these maybe specific questions. Hopefully, um, they're helpful to the people. How do you uh, manage your uh, like? So, what what you're talking about is is you want to rebase that uh, their branch onto uh, onto master, so you don't have a bunch of merge commits. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not possible to do with the merge button in uh, GitHub, right? So. Do you make sure that their branch is rebased first, and then um, and then you can uh, like do it manually? Because if you don't do that, then you're actually creating a brand new commit, and uh, that pull request uh, GitHub won't recognize that pull request is merged, and then you wind up closing it. Like, is that kind of how you you do that? You just close it and say, no, this was merged. I promise. Or how do you? No, no. I, I make sure that they see that it's merged. So I click the merge button, um, and then I go back. I, I pull it down, it's got the merge commit in there, and then I usually just rebase the merge message out of that and then force push up. So they, ma they maintain contribution rights. It shows them as the contributor. It just shows me as a little icon next to it that says, hey, I assisted in like cleaning it up. Um, but they get the credit. Uh, it, it closes and is tracked in, the, uh, in GitHub. Um, and that's how I do that. Now, that can cause some problems. Rebasing can cause problems. Uh, when people fork it and then all of a sudden it's been rebased, right? Um, and so it, it could cause commits, and I've had it happen where it's like hundreds of commits and then they're one change. But it's real, it's easy enough to have, have them rebase again and just say, hey, sorry about this. You happened to do your branch or your fork right as I was merging someone else's stuff. Could you just rebase through? Um, and if, if they don't know how, I'll just paste the commands that they can that they basically copy-paste into their console and it clears things up for them, um, and then we go on from there. But overall, it hasn't been a big big deal. Yeah. I was going to mention, uh, just uh, for open source con contribution, you've made it so easy to eliminate the fear of ruining your, your project <laughs> with a commit, with a good test suite, and... Um, I think that's that's a huge uh, you know boon for people who want to contribute. They can just uh, easily you know make sure they didn't destroy the whole thing. Yeah, I've um, over the over the years I've tried to increase our test coverage. So at the moment we have ninety nine point nine something test coverage, um, and that's test coverage only works on a single pass, right? Um, and so the rest of that that fraction of a percent is actually covered through the browser runs, which are automated, and the other environment runs that are automated. So um, yeah, those, those have helped uh, make sure that I don't break anything. I also have build tests on the CLI side. So when I do large refactoring there, or adding a method, or change dependencies up, 
it'll let me know real quick if I've broken something. Um, but I've tried over the years to make things a little bit uh, more fluid, um, a little bit more forgiving. So people can add methods now, and it doesn't break the suite uh, or break the, the custom build. Um, and so anything that's been kind of a barrier there, I've tried to remove and, and, and uh, allow more contributions. And, and it's actually worked. Before, I used to have a real problem getting external contributors. Um, but over the last uh, year and a half or so, it's just been a steady, uh, a steady increase in contribution, and part of that was I, I removed a lot of the too clever JavaScript stuff, where uh, I used to have like a, um, a a template that was designed for HTML, and I used to have it generate the function body of a core helper function, um, and that was just people would hit that and then stop, and then walk away, um, and so I removed that. Uh, and then made everything just these tiny, tiny helper functions and these tiny modules, and that has just made it so much easier for people to 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 read through the source to figure it out. I do uh, JS doc style comments too, and I make sure that if I if there's something that's a little awkward in the code, I try to document that so people know like exactly why I'm doing something. Oh, there's a bug in this version of the browser. That's why this code's formatted this way. Uh, so if you change that, you'll probably hit a test fail, things like that. Cool. I think you just gave us a whole bunch of awesome um, pro tips for not only open source, but like coding in general. <laughs> I, I think that's really valuable. And I'm going to just go ahead and uh, give a plus one uh, from uh, Getify right here, because if he were here, I'm sure he would plus one that uh, your motivation to uh, keep the cleverness down. Uh, Did you plus one on my behalf? Yeah. He's going <laughs> to pop in. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. I. I I just, I, I try to make it is, a lot of times, like, I'll even do this where, where I'm looking at, like, should I use a ternary operator here? Because uh, I can make it a string of ternary operations, right? Or just break it into, like, an if-else. Break it into an if-else. It's, I mean, in the long run, it's going to be easier to understand. And so I've tried to, to do that. I do use, that, that doesn't mean that things can't get complicated. It just means that you have to, to document those, those complicated things or have a good reason for them to be there. So I, I do have tricky spots, like I, I use a bit mask, which can be something that devs haven't encountered before, but I use that to avoid passing like 14 or, or 16 argument parameters, right? Um, and I use that as a, as a key component of keeping the cost of currying down. Um, so it's this centralized bit, but I, I abstract that away to just this one function, this one scary function, right? Uh, so if you're not dealing with that one little bit, you never see it. You don't have to interface with it. It's, it's not spread through all the other code base. It's just isolated. So I try to isolate the ugly bits uh, to avoid um, making it harder for contributions. I think I'm going to have to change the name of the show because uh, uh, we've talked uh, we've talked about Lodash. We've talked about JavaScript details. Um, that's been really valuable, but I think um, lots of the... Uh, really valuable things I'm taking away from this show are, are the pro tips that we're getting about uh, managing an open source project, contributing to an open source project, and, and uh, writing code. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I have a question on the actual utility part, and that's really just, um, in my experience, uh, I have much better luck understanding a program when my function does one thing, and JavaScript is historically, like, you give this function takes four different arguments, does two... 20 different things based on your combination of type and arguments, you know, arity. 
um, and things like that. And then that's really to the heart of what JavaScript is and its normal utilities and things like that. So I'm, I don't anything against that, but I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts or experience was working with all these like Swiss Army kind of functions instead of uh, you know A to B functions. Great question. Um, ah man, over the years I've actually started to reduce overloading because overloading is a nightmare for modularity. Um, overloading means that uh, you have a function that can accept multiple arguments and behave differently. So like if you pass it an array, it does one thing. If you pass it an object, it does another thing. If you pass it a function as a second parameter, it does an entirely new thing. Or a Boolean value. Ugh. Uh, so the, like as, as, the fun as the focus has shifted from monolithic to modular, it forces you to, to avoid overloading because people don't want to have five kilobytes of sugar for something they're never going to use. Um, and so uh, with Lodash 4, I have, um, I have started to break out those, that, that overloaded stuff in, into individual methods. So for example, unique. Unique used to take a Boolean value um, that would say that it was a sorted unique. Uh, instead, I, now I have a method called sorted unique. Um, or it used to take that same Boolean, could be a function, and it would, it would uh, cre uh, use that function's result as the criteria for the unique value. And so now I have a function called unique by, which then allows you to pass that, that function so it's not overloaded into a single piece. And so that simplifies the, the argument signature, which makes it easier for things like definitely typed TypeScript definitions. Um, it simplifies the implementation. It allows for more granular uh, modularity and for smaller builds. So nowadays, if, if I get a new method, I try to just split it out. I don't want overloading. I there's some things that are stuck the way they are, and I'm okay with it. Like the collections methods, which accept an array, an object, a string. Uh, but those those are not growing that set. That set is pretty much set in stone. Um, this this forward is now like let's just have an array method. Let's just have an object method. Let's just have a string method. Um, so I'm I'm keeping overloading to a minimum um, and simplifying it for you know all the benefits I, I just talked about. Yeah, I think I actually hit one of those uh, with Redux when I attempted to use map values, which is which is like simple in the simple case, but it also does a, a ton of stuff in the more complicated case that blows up Redux size uh, uh, two times. So this is something we addressed with version four. Um, most of these methods that accept a an iterate like a map or every or, or filter have callback sugar in there for shorthand. So instead of passing a function, you can pass a string, like a property name, or an object to perform, to create a predicate function that does a partial deep comparison. But that alone is five kilobytes. That sugar is massive, because it's doing deep object, deep partial object comparison, right? Super gross when you just want, I just want to map some values. Like, why do I have to have five kilobytes of this? I'm never going to use it. So a uh, webpack gives you this really cool ability to map and remap uh, module requires. And so uh, you can take that instead, uh, there's, a, there's a way to say like instead of using the callback helper that is in charge of shorthands to point it to a, f a method that just returns the function. Um, and when you do that, you cut out the five kilobytes. So if you were to use that today, that's what I would do. Is I, was, I, would, I would use Webpack to remap that one request to the, the simpler form. Um, and then avoid the, 
the. Uh, but this the is file. a bit like reaching out into internals, right? Because I'd have to rely on internal method names or model names. But Lodash is developed with that in mind. So uh, what what we do is every external function has a simplified internal function. So if there's anything where uh, you're having to do extra work, there's always there there's usually I'll say I won't say always, but there's usually a simplified internal function. Um, and what we 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 do is Externally, we don't do back, uh, backwards compat breaking changes unless it's a major bump. Um, for internal methods, we do the minor bump. So all you have to do is switch your caret to a tilde, um, and then you should be good to go. Very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I am afraid that we're going to have to wrap things up here. This has been really great. Um, thank you for coming on the show. Let's um, go ahead, and we'll get into our tips and picks. Um, but before we do that, actually, I just want to ask you, John, if there is anything else that you wanted to bring up. Uh, no, this has been great. Um, I, I will say, if you have any questions, uh, ping me on Twitter, ping me on GitHub. There's a Gitter chat as well. Uh, j don't be afraid to reach out. My I, uh, my DMs are unlocked too, so you can DM me. Anyone can do that. So I would say, yeah, just reach out. I'm I I am anything. I'll I'll sit there and and if I can't help you, I'll find someone that can help you. That's very nice of you, and a great example to us. Thank you. Cool. Um, so let's go ahead and we'll get into our uh, tips and picks. Brian, why don't we have you go first? Uh, sure. Uh, just have a really small uh, set of picks today. Um, mainly, uh, should give a shout out to the PureScript Online Meetup. Yeah, that's back, so check that out um, on meetup.com. Just look for PureScript. Uh, put a link there, and then. Um, I ran across this amazing, uh, you know, robot Lolita post uh, that uh, this guy Jesse posted, and it's really, really great read. So there's that, and then um, the continuation monad is uh, incredible, and uh, there's a lot of interesting uses of it with generators. Um, uh, there's a, a you know, you, I, I posted a link. Look at Scott Christopher's const t uh, screenshots; they'll blow your mind. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Dan. Why don't we have you go next? So I have a bunch of uh, picks this time, and my first pick is going to be uh, something called GraphVis, and in particular, an Atom plugin for this thing called GraphVis Preview, which is an awesome way of creating, like, if you want to create a flowchart uh, with, like, uh, arrows between boxes, uh, which can be of different shapes, and if you hate uh, doing it manually, you can just create a text file in a special language, uh, and the tool is going to arrange these boxes for you, uh, and it's cross-platform, and it's pretty awesome, and this Aiden plugin just puts uh, the preview side by side so you can see uh, how it works. Uh, my other peak is something called WTF, which is not what you think. It's Web Tracing Framework by Google. And this is a JavaScript framework that is like super awesome. Uh, I just played with it a little bit. And uh, this is like it lets you put traces in your code. For example, like I'm entering this method and I'm leaving this method. Uh, and uh, to log events as well. And then it exports a trace that can be opened in a special Chrome or Firefox extension. And you see, you can see the flame chart, uh, uh, all the, uh, uh, the the stack of the calls, and you can uh, zoom in, zoom out. You can uh, look for things by filtering, and it's super awesome. I recommend it. Uh, uh, it's great for debugging uh, performance issues. Uh, so another thing is, uh, I wrote 
like I said uh, about the flowchart, so the reason uh, uh, I was looking for a tool to create a flowchart is because I was creating a flowchart. Uh, so I published a flowchart called React Makes You Sad, uh, which is a common sentiment I hear these days from uh, from people who just come into JavaScript programming, see React, uh, Google React Boilerplate, uh, and see a bunch of projects that are super complicated and think that like this is uh, uh, what you need to have in order to use React, which is not true. So I just made a flowchart that kind of tells you that you don't have to use all of this. You probably don't need Flux. You don't need like routing. You don't need uh, all these kind of fancy build tools because React it's best to start by learning React itself, and then you can add things as necessary for your project incrementally. So there's that. And finally, uh, our conversation about built-ins remind, uh, reminded me of an old comment by Pat Kantonov, who's one of uh, the authors of Bluebird Promise Library, uh, about how it is often, uh, people often think that built-ins are bound to be faster because they're in native code. Uh, so this is a great uh, comment explaining why this is not exactly the case and why uh, built-ins are often slower uh, than JavaScript implementations. That's it. Wow, that was awesome. I totally didn't get your last pick because I'm looking at this uh, React makes you sad thing. Now. <laughs> I'll have to listen to again. That, that was great. Um, I, I'm going to pick that too. Uh, <laughs> very cool. Uh, so I have uh, one tip. Do open source. It's great. Um, I think I've given that as a tip before, but I just think it's great. So um, my picks, I have three. React.js program by our friend Tyler McGinnis, uh, one of our panelists. Um, I, I wish that he could be here to talk about how great this is, but it's basically um, a, um, a training website um, where you can uh, register for a course, and um, there's a video um, yeah, like you follow along with the video and build an app, and it's super, super cool. Um, there's the, the first course is totally free, so go check that out. Uh, and that's React.js program. And then Healthy Open Source is a blog post um, by the, um, is it Mikkel, I think, um, from the Node project. Um, this, like, has kind of changed the way that I think about um, maintaining an open source project. So I really recommend that you look into it. I've already started implementing some of the ideas here and it's already had a big impact on, on my project, so very cool. Uh, and then uh, finally, all contributors. Um, all contributors is a thing that I started just last week that uh, basically the, the tagline is recognize all contributors, not just the ones who push code. And so um, GitHub is really good at, at showing you these are the people who've like committed to this project and that's great but there are so many people who contribute to a project who aren't pushing code. And yep. so uh, the purpose of this project is to um, recognize those people in a prominent place in your project um, because you know they're really providing a great deal of value to your project. So check that out. Um, and yeah, let's go with uh, you, John. What do you have for us? I, I want to comment on your, uh, your all contributors. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the, the workhorse on my project. I do the commits every day. Um, but a, a large part of, of operations and core is, is just bike shedding API, figuring out the direction of features, um, and, and none of that's really code push related, uh, but it's, it's a big help and you can't do it, you can't run the project without it. So yeah, that's, that's great. Um, Non-core, uh, non-code contributions are super important. Um, for my picks though, uh, I, since I didn't mention in, in the conversation, I'll take some of those. Um, one of them is 
uh, the Babel plugin Lodash, which is our official Babel plugin for uh, simplifying paths. So you can use Lodash as a monolith, uh, as the monolithic invocation, and then it will automatically break everything into paths for you. Um, the other one is ESLint plugin Lodash. I like the the, the uh, convention there for the name. Um, and this is is not a Lodash uh, core thing, but uh, it allows you to lint your projects for specific versions of Lodash. So like you can lint it for best practices for Lodash version 3, for Lodash version 4, and it helps, uh, I've seen it help with folks migrating from one version to the next. So I would say um, check that out. Um, the other uh, uh, thing I want to mention is there's a blog post called Why Using Chain is a Mistake. It's a little bit like clickbaity title, but the post is super thorough. Uh, gets into functional programming concepts, gets into using composition instead of chaining, um, and it's a really good read. I, I would say it's, it's probably appropriate for like a Friday afternoon read because it is a little bit longer than, than some blog posts, but it's super, super good. Um, my tip would be uh, if you're wanting to, to up your JavaScript knowledge, the best way to do that, at least for me, has been to dig into a project. That's how I learned, uh, that's how I, I relearned JavaScript was was digging into prototype, digging into jQuery, digging into Mutools, uh, digging into underscore, digging into all these 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 frameworks and libraries. And it just once you you dig in and you, you start to figure out how things work, it really helps uh, get past uh, and and it helps you understand a lot of these these harder uh, programming concepts in JavaScript. So I would say just dig into the source code and just start taking stuff apart. See what happens if you change a a value here or a variable there and uh, explore. Hi, pardon the brief interruption from the actual uh, podcast. This is um, Kent recording this in post, but I totally forgot to mention our silver sponsors in the show. And so I want to apologize and mention them now. So our silver sponsors are FluentConf and Auth0. FluentConf is a conference. We're actually doing a live show at that conference next week. Really, really cool. And Auth0 is uh, authentication made simple for developers. It's a really great service and I recommend you check them out. Sorry again for totally forgetting uh, to mention them, and hopefully I never do that again. Thanks, and enjoy the rest of the show. Cool, cool. Awesome. Um, great. So I think that is it for our show. Um, John, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you um, and your efforts. Um, and with that, I, I think uh, I'll just wrap us up. So for some of our regular closing announcements, um, remember, if you have any suggestions for uh, topics or guests, go to suggest.javascriptair.com to suggest um, shows that we should do. And then if you have feedback for this show or the show in general, please go to feedback.javascriptair.com, and um, we love feedback, so please give us some, especially about the live conference shows, because we do have a couple more coming up, and I want to make sure that those are um, what you want them to be. Great, and then... Um, just in, in general, next week is a live conference show. It's live at FluentConf, um, and really excited about uh, about this one. It's uh, going to be March 9th at uh, 12.45 p.m. PST, and uh, John is showing off his uh, Thunder Plains shirt there. Um, hopefully, maybe we can get a, a live show at that conference this year, too. That'd be sweet. Um, yeah, and then remember to follow us on Twitter and Google Plus and Facebook to keep up with the latest. And I think that's it. Oh, one other thing. Uh, so if you want to uh, join an email, weekly email list uh, with the show notes and things like that, um, we're planning on actually 
doing this, go to email or no jsair.io slash email and uh, register yourself to be on the email list. And uh, I think that's it. So thank you so much, John, and we'll catch everybody later. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.